I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. This episode's guest is Laura Howe from Hope Made Strong and the Church Mental Health Summit. I think it's really key here to remember is that only people who care can be fatigued. If you are not compassionate and empathizing, if you are, you know, cold and and put off and closed down, you're not going to get compassion fatigue. We'll get into more details about the Mental Health Summit in the episode, but for starters, this year, dozens and dozens of practitioners, church leaders, and people with life experience gathered together to share their knowledge and experience of mental health for the education of the church. Laura and I will talk about mental health in the church, self-care for caregivers, and ways the church can do better in this area. We'll also talk about compassion fatigue and burnout. The Uncertain Podcast supports Tears of Eden, a community and resource for those in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting listening apparatus. Thanks so much for joining me today. Here's my interview with Laura Howe. Hey. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good to see you. (laughs) Thanks so much for doing this. How are you feeling after the mental health summit? (laughs) Okay. Have you read much of Brene Brown? Yes. Okay. Like okay. of mental health. Yeah. Right. So she, so you've heard of the vulnerability hangover, right? Oh, yes. Pretty hardcore. Pretty yes. hardcore. Like, oh my gosh. Like <laughs> how's the people registered? Like, do they like me? Are they going to judge me? And I live in a very small town in like rural Ontario, Canada. So I'm like a nobody. This just kind of fell into my lap and person connected me to person to connect me to person. So I'm just like, I am the random small town social worker that all of a sudden has like 45 countries logging in. I was losing my mind. So anyway, the vulnerability wow. hangover was pretty hardcore. Um, but I'm fine. I get through it. You get right. through it. Yeah. So. Right. How <laughs> I did that experience that after podcasting? Like, oh my you, gosh. Yeah, I definitely some episodes more than others, but definitely will feel uh, just oh, just like the shame. It's shame. It's like this yeah. shame feeling of like I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. Like what? What am I thinking? Like yeah, People that's that. yeah, that's kind of yeah. how it shows up for me. Yeah, um, but I can totally imagine that though. Yeah, but it's awesome. It's so exciting. It that... was really cool. Yeah, oh it was really cool. So and I, and I think I'm really it's... happy that like Jenna was able to connect with her and like she you guys do awesome stuff in spiritual abuse like it's I love that you're talking about this like I love 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 it and so I'm like okay this needs to be on here I hope people listen in so and I'm really glad that she was able to be highlighted there too and thank you for giving her that platform yeah so I'd love maybe just start with introduction what you do Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear that (laughs) and (laughs) in your own words Okay. Yes. Um, well, uh, I am a social worker, a mom, and a project manager. So from that, you will hear that 
my social worker is like, I love to build into people and equip people and give people tools so that they can live like their best life. Uh, as a mom, I am super, my, I don't know if anyone else has experienced this or I'm hopefully I'm not touching on a sensitive top topic, but when I turned, I was like, like direct and straightforward and you know, brutal a little bit <laughs> before, but when I had kids, my heart just melted. So I have lots of empathy and compassion and want to encourage people. And then project management is um, a weird thing. I think it comes out of this wanting to like have control of things, but it's like organizing and like managing and putting things together. And, you know, when I look back at all the things that I love to do, even as a kid, as a teen in, in university, everything kind of had this project management, like organizing and systems and putting things together. So that is where the project management part comes from. That's kind of my, within my DNA. Um, but recently uh, I started Hope Made Strong and that's an organization that really is focused on equipping ministry caregivers and people who serve and are helpers and who love Jesus. And, uh, and so that's Hope Made Strong. And then just recently I've had the huge, huge privilege to coordinate and produce the Church Mental Health Summit, which happens on World Mental Health Day. Um, and so it's from that summit that I got connected to you. So I'm yes. really excited to be here. <laughs> and I'm so excited that we get to highlight what you're doing and Hope Made Strong and also the Church Mental Health Summit. Can you talk a little bit about the vision behind the Church Mental Health Subject and where that came from? For sure. Um, as, uh, as a social worker by trade for 15 years, I would sit in my church and I would feel agitated, which I don't know if that's normal, but I think for a lot of us, it's normal that what was, um, what I was experiencing Monday to Friday in my workplace, working as a mental health, uh, social worker or clinician was not being reflected in the language and the programming and the services mm -hmm. and supports in the church. And then I would go and work in a, a healthcare setting and I wasn't able to share the hope and the, and the love and the healing of, and salvation of Jesus in that. So I always felt like there was this tension and the more I connected to people through Hope Made Strong and trying to equip caregivers and, and connect with people and say, okay, what do you need to be able to effectively care for people over and over and over again, there was this, um, feedback of, you know, this, mental health is unknown and it's scary. And so we don't know how to approach it and we don't know what tools to use. And there's a mistrust of the healthcare system and psychology. And so, so that's kind of where mental health, uh, the church mental health summit came from is really um, flowing out of a need and a desire to equip and strengthen the church so it can stand in a place and be a beacon of hope and light in the communities that they sit in. And so that people can be equipped with the tools so that they can support their neighbors and both the neighbor beside them in the pew or in the chair, because we all experience mental health or our neighbors in our communities. So that's kind of where that passion came from. Okay. And so church mental health summit was kind of like this Netflix of small <laughs> informational talks mm -hmm. from professionals, people with life experience, people, I think you had, you might've had some uh, vocational ministry people too, right? Like pastors and stuff in there. Yep. Um, and then it was just all like this whole, all of these informational things. And then who is your, 
was your target audience then for that churches? Is yes. that what you're thinking? Okay. The target audience was for the local church. Now I had four different categories, the global category, which really pointed and resource and provided information for missionaries because I think they are really isolated um, and they are, they don't have access to a lot of um, information if they are isolated all around the world. Um, and then, and they are in the local church, wherever that community is. So there was something specific focused on global uh, was for missionaries, but also yes, local churches. So the other uh, three categories are community. So that's all the needs that would be found and seen within our communities church so how can we shift the culture of our church to be inclusive and open and breaking down stigma and what programs are out there to support and then leadership because uh pastors and people who are serve in ministry whether you're a small groups leader or whether you're in praise of worship or in children's ministry or an usher or parking attendant you are serving and you are caring for people and there can be impacts so wanted to really highlight um supports that are available for leaders who are in ministry Awesome. I got to watch some of the, some of the talks live on that Saturday that uh, we had um, uh, Gino Roths sharing her talk to, which she's a board member of Tears of Eden. And I just, yeah, I got so much out of just those few that I got to see. And I feel like it's super helpful. And I would love to hear a little bit more about when you said that you would sit in church and you would feel this tension of like the things that are being said and talked about here and hear a little bit more about that and what you've experienced yourself in church. And then also as you've been working with churches, what are some specific things that come up in churches that mm -hmm. reveal this disconnect Yeah. For you? So it, go, it can be as simple as language. So people use stigmatizing language, um, referring to us and them, th those people or people with, or, you know, so it becomes an us and them mentality, whereas people who are um, believers of Christ and those who aren't, or people who are walking in faith and those people who are suffering. And, and, and people often differentiate between us and them so often forgetting that we all suffer and we all struggle and we all experience variety of mental health at variety in different times of our lives and so seeing um, a pattern of us and them type of conversations or the type of um I don't want to say object lessons, but examples was definitely something that bothered me. And then, and the language of, you know, stigmatizing language, like people don't, you don't, you don't label someone, oh, that person's a diabetic. No, that's Sally. That's, that's their name. But you, people identify people, oh, that's a schizophrenic or that's someone, you know, like a manic depressive. Well, mm. that's not their name. They're more than their illness. And, and we don't use some of that language anymore or multiple, the multiple personality disorder and schizophrenia, like the, the the misunderstanding of what those diagnoses are and how they impact someone's daily living is is you know there's misinformation there and so people who you know are sitting there listening to this message you know that could impact them when they're like oh they're labeling me and you know they're identifying me as um someone who primarily is their illness and that's not 
true. Like people are more than depression, more than anxiety, more than an eating disorder, more than, you know, learning disorders. So that, that was frustrating. And, and I don't think it was ever done maliciously or out of um, ill will or, you know, it's just misinformation. It's just ignorance. And, and so I really wanted to create a pl- uh, opportunity for people to learn and engage. Um, and then the other struggle that I had is, um, I guess it would be more shame-based in that if you are suffering or if you are struggling, then you don't have faith in that you haven't prayed enough or read your Bible enough or pull up those bootstraps. And, you know, and I, and I think most time, again, people don't say that maliciously, they just don't know what else to say. They just don't have the capacity or, or knowledge or, or skills to be able to be empathetic and, and, and listen and sit with and be uncomfortable in the situation because we can't solve people's suffering. We can't like, it's too complex, but to sit and be uncomfortable with that person and validate and encourage is really powerful. And I think that piece has been missing from church. We just want to, it's very black and white thinking, heaven, hell, right, wrong, sin and salvation. Like, and a lot of that's truth but we get stuck in the black and white thinking. And when in our world, we live in the gray. And, uh, and so it's hard, to, it's hard to balance that. I think, well, many people struggle balancing that. Right. What have been some, or have you experienced any aha moments with church leadership or in churches when they're working with you? Have you experienced any, I don't know, just success, I guess, with, with uh, the trainings? Yeah, most of my trainings with Hope Made Strong, my focus is really on equipping people so that they're they're not burnt out and they have the ability and the resources to know how to empathize. And so um, it's been exciting to walk with a couple churches where during this time of COVID, what I offer is online so we don't have to travel and they can just do it at their own pace. And learning about compassion fatigue and burnout is really about learning those skills of self-care and taking away that stigma that, you know, working until you're exhausted isn't a badge of honor, becoming to lead with vulnerability, that it's okay to say, I'm tired, (laughs) I need a break, you know, or, you know what, I need to cancel my appointments this afternoon and I need to go for a walk and I need to... Mm -hmm do some self-care, right? And and that's been exciting to to watch and to walk with people for sure. But that's where my journey started is watching um, myself and others burn out in ministry and then wanting to support that. So while I was okay. sitting there, while sitting there um, in tension, listening and watching, um, watching people burn out, myself ex- personally experiencing compassion fatigue and burnout, and then wanting to provide those resources. And so for me, a caregiver is anyone that provides care, not just the nurses, the social workers, those caring for their elderly parents or, or their kids with, you know, autism or whatever. It, it is people who provide care and provide the, so those helpers. So really mm-hmm. it can be those small groups, leaders, that prayer team, hospitality team. And really it's, it's, if you can provide empathy and you, you're a supporter and helper that then you, um, yeah, you're, you're susceptible to compassion fatigue and burnout for sure. What are the main barriers to someone taking care of themselves? Oh, (laughs) main barriers. Well, I can speak to my main barrier. (laughs) 
everyone is so different, right? Everyone right. is so different. So I think a big one, if we're looking at the church culture and, and how there's limitations or barriers from that, it is that badge of honor that, you know, if you're exhausted, then you're working for the Lord. You're doing strong work for the Lord. Yeah, you get mm-hmm. that pat on the back. You know, it's, it's that, you know, I'm so worn out. I'm exhausted because I'm working for the Lord. And that's, you know, the Bible talks about from the overflow. Well, you know, it's, it's so you need to be continue fill up. You can't pour out from an empty cup, which is a little bit cliche, but it's, it's true. Um, so that is a big barrier is that we don't want to appear. We don't want to appear selfish or we don't want to appear indulgent because, you know, we, it is more socially acceptable to be exhausted and doing all the things. And so that is a big one. And then I'm not worthy is a big mental mindset conversation. Like, you know, oh, I didn't do that much. Why should, you know, my suffering, I'm not, you know, as hard up as dumb, you know, as someone else, they are really doing a lot. So I shouldn't need a break or I shouldn't need some self-care because I'm not doing as much as that other person. So that comparison and that worthy conversation is a big one. Would you mind defining compassion fatigue and burnout? Yeah. How you oh, see it. Yeah. So compassion fatigue is the um, erosion, the physical and emotional erosion of a caregiver because of the empathy and the work that they're doing for others who are suffering. And, and then burnout would be the, um, the exhaustion and the, it's very similar physical and mental exhaustion of prolonged hopelessness, helplessness, and prolonged stress. And so the difference between those is that everyone can experience burnout. Absolutely everyone. It doesn't matter what role. You don't even have to have a role. It could be just you feel hopeless, you feel helpless, you can change the situation, and it's you have under a lot of stress for a long time, and you can feel burnt out, worn out. But compassion fatigue is the erosion of the ability to care for others and to care for ourselves, and it impacts our worldview, and it impacts our ability to provide empathy. So if you think of someone who hears the same story, say you're a youth worker, I'm just throwing this out as an example, and you always hear story after story after story from someone, oh, they just broke up with me and I'm heartbroken and oh my goodness, that whole story. The more you hear it over and over and over, the more you're going to become jaded or not impacted and kind of roll your eyes. Oh, another breakup. Here we go again. You know, So you lose the ability to empathize with that and it impacts your ability to see the world. So now your view of teenagers has shifted that they're, oh my goodness, maybe attention seeking or they're, you know, they're always looking, breaking up and they're so emotional or whatever. And that, you know, that's just one example of how we can erode our ability to empathize. But there's ongoing side effects of it. So burnout, if you shift or change your situation, then there's quick, quick, quick recovery. But compassion fatigue, it impacts how you view and see the world. And so it is really exhausting and draining on people. Um, and it can impact a lot. And, and into more severe cases, almost become like a PTSD response, post-traumatic stress response. I'm so grateful that you shared those examples because translating to a ministry context, I never had translated it that way 
into a ministry context. And now it's like, bing, bing, bing. All these people that I'm thinking of that I'm like, oh, they have compassion. They, they, they have, like, that's what they're, that's what this is. Like this, this cynicism and this, yeah. like the deadness behind the eyes and the like, it's, it's, the, not- it's the prolonged hearing mm-hmm. over and over and over of the same stories or the same trauma or the same issues. So, you know, I know um, this podcast and Tears of Eden is super passionate about um, spiritual abuse. And so if you're hearing spiritual abuse stories over and over and over again, you become raw or numb to some of those stories. And that's not helpful for you as a worker and like as a supporter, and it's not helpful for the people that you're supporting. But I think it's really key here to remember is that only people who care can be fatigued. If you are not compassionate and empathizing, if you are, you know, cold and, and put off and closed down, you're not going to get compassion fatigue. So there's a lot of shame about people feeling dead and numb and, oh my gosh, I must not be in the right ministry or God has, you know, I'm not gifted enough or why am I not feeling excited or why don't I, when I get that phone call at 10 o'clock at night, your first thought is, oh, not another one. Not, oh my gosh, I'm empathizing. Like, right? Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of shame around that. But remember that comes from a place because you've cared and it's a natural thing to experience compassion fatigue when you've cared for so much for so long. I feel like the word or the the term compassion fatigue is a very compassionate term for something that I think that we've normally labeled as cynicism, right? Or cynicism, I know I've heard it called other things in other other contexts, jaded, jaded, yeah. Um, yeah, just shut down, like can't handle... Yeah. It anymore. Um, so I think that that's a, a very compassionate term and, and knowing that it comes out of a place of care is really important. Do you mind giving some maybe quick tips for some, if someone like say I yeah. notice that in myself, like mm-hmm. what are some what are some tips? Yeah, for prevention and to try to move away. So um, not to digress, but a little bit of my story is that I experienced compassion fatigue as working in mental health and hearing trauma over and over and over. I became extremely, <laughs> my poor family, I was very agitated a lot. And that was my symptom is that I would become quick to anger. And so I would come home after supporting people all day long. And then my sweet young children who were very small at the time was like, mommy, can you help with this? And mommy, can you help with that? And all I'm like, I just want everyone to stop needing me. Just figure it out, do it. You know? So, so I think it's good. One of the tips is to be able to identify what your symptoms are. On my website, hopemadestrong.org slash quiz, you're able to do an assessment to assess your levels of compassion fatigue, burnout. And then um, I send a follow-up email with, you know, what that means, how to, you know, and how to prevent that and, and things like that. So there, there is some more information. That's just if you're looking for more information on that. Um, but ide- really identifying what your triggers are is really key. Mine, it was anger. It was unable to sleep well and complete exhaustion. And some people it's numbness and jaded. So, you know, and there's lots of other, there's biological, there's behavioral, there's emotional side effects. So just being able to know what those are is the first sign to know what your triggers are when you're kind of getting close to being um, burnt out. And then uh, a tip to kind of prevent that or to overcome that is good old boundaries, which is so hard to implement. It's really hard 
to implement because one of the first things for compassion fatigue is the need and desire to want to do more work. You would think that if you're burnt out, like you're exhausted, you would want to like recoil and pull away from the work. But that's not the thing is that we just, we need to be needed and we actually do more work. We invest more time into caring for other people. They need me, you know, they, I, there's so much greater needs out there. I'm going to put my self-care on the back burner. And so really setting those boundaries. And I have a little bit of a quick tip on how to say no. Um, you can find it on, you know, I write a blog and a YouTube video on this. So this is going to be like a micro version. And I'll put all of this in show notes okay. too, like links to it for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is how to say no is by saying yes. So when you're saying yes to someone, okay, yeah, absolutely. I'll go out for coffee with you and we can talk about this or, you know, I'll stay late after church and we can have an hour or two hour conversation. You're actually saying no to your family and to your biological needs of eating lunch. And so by saying yes to something, you're actually going to be really just saying no to other things. So if you have a hard time saying no to people, which most of us do, because it's one of the hardest words to say, you can just tell people what you're saying yes to. Say, actually, I've already told, I've already said yes to, or I've already told my family that I promised my children, I made a commitment to this project, or you can tell people what you're going to say yes to, and then say, you know what, can we catch up another time? Or what are you doing next week? Offer an alternative if you're not able to do it at that time. And, you know, so many people are like, oh, absolutely. You know, no, of course. Yes. Let's connect later on. So you don't have that guilt and that pressure. So having boundaries and being able to say no is really important, but knowing when to say no is really being able to identify those triggers. So first thing, check out your triggers, find out what those are about, what it is for you. Uh, for me, it was just being angry and agitated and being exhausted um, and then learning how to say no and, and, and practicing those self-cares. I have a whole course called Finding Hope and Helping, which is quite a comprehensive course um, about how to prevent and overcome compassion fatigue. It's all online. So that is available. It's kind of like a self-help book on, on an online video course called Finding Hope and Helping. And that goes through really the steps. What if you want to say yes to taking a nap? Okay. And you're telling someone no, so you can take a nap. So you have an appointment. Oh. Yeah. Right. Say, so you know what? I actually have another engagement. I have another. Priority. I like it. But I really think what you're talking about is super important. Can we connect tomorrow? So it's, so it's really key that you don't dismiss and reject because mm -hmm. that, you know, dismissing and rejecting, it causes guilt. Yeah. It causes guilt in you. And it causes that's like negative to negative. Like it's a mm -hmm. negative behavior that you're going to experience a uh, reaction and, you know, but validating and saying, you know what, that, oh man, I am so thankful that you told me that. I am so glad that you came to me to talk. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I, I do have another um, commitment that I need to, you need to do, but can we catch up and then you offer something else because you're validating that what they have told you is important. And I think that's really key is that, that validation part. Mm, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Not saying, not completely shutting it down. No. Offering no, no. another opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And if yeah. you're not the opportunity, like if you're mm. like, you know what, this relationship is destructive. I can't, I can't, I can't go there with that person. Then you say, 
oh my goodness, I am so thankful that you trusted me to do this. I actually don't know if I'm the right person to be able to talk to. You're validated. Thank you. I valid. That sounds like it's really difficult for you. I don't know if I'm the right person. Can we together figure out who might be the best person for you to talk to about that? And inside you're like, checking out. That's not me. Don't want to go there. But you're not lying. You're not making, you know, you're not, I'm not trying to be uh, malicious or manipulative in any way, but it's being aware that your mental health matters. You, your ability and your well-being matters. And when you empathize and when you connect with other people in a caregiving and support way, you can't, that it's impacting you. And Naomi Rachel Remen has an amazing quote. It's, and I'm going to mess it up. So it's not word for word, but it's like the expectation that you can be immersed in suffering and not be impacted is as similar to that as walking through water and not getting wet. It's all around us. It's trauma is sticky and problems and icking. It sticks to you. So recognizing when it's okay to not want to be a part of that is healthy for both of you. Absolutely. And I think it, it, it strikes as common sense, but as someone who has been in ministry for many, many years, it is so hard. It so is hard. So hard. And it takes practice. It's oh not like, it is not an instant thing. And it also, I just know that you also have to train other people too. Even just something, I'm just like thinking of just like something sim- small that I did that I just had this day that I would, I would not get on my computer and not check my email and I would not respond to texts if I got a text from, you know, church related anything. Absolutely. And it was like just training people. If you contact me on this day, you won't hear anything. You're, yeah. just, not, you're just not going to. And it's just like creating a culture kind of around yourself, yeah. but it's so hard. Like yes. everything you said, wonderful, so common sense. Idyllic. But yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It is really hard, especially when there's scriptures that said it's better to give than receive it. So it's like, (laughs) it is better to like lay your life down. Like no love is greater than to lay your life down for a friend or something. I'm totally butchering it. So I apologize and I really honor and respect the scripture. So I'm not trying to do that. I just can't think of it at the moment. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) Um, But you know, these scriptures that are telling to give and give and give and give, but we all, there's also a lot of be still and know, like relax, chill out, take a step back. Or, you know, the scripture that the course Finding Hope and Helping is based on is Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where it says, come to me, all who are weary, and you will find rest. And you have to know if you're weary. You have to have the ability to self-assess if you're weary or not, to know if you're weary. So the first isn't getting rest. The first is figuring out if you're weary or not, mm-hmm. right? But mm. it is very, very, very hard in a culture that celebrates exhaustion and celebrates suffering. And Amen. And- serving. It is exceptionally hard. What might someone lose if they implemented boundaries? What are some costs that, and I'm thinking, good question. (laughs) I thought I might need to explain more, but you got it. Go for it. Whatever you're going to say. What are, what are the costs of boundaries? Well, clarify if I'm not answering it right. To me, people think of boundaries as very, very rigid. And so they think the cost is that some relationships are going to walk away and you can't control other people's behavior. So you can't control other people's taking offense or having an emotional reaction to your boundaries. Um, And like you said, it's very hard in creating that culture. And so you may um, have to... (laughs) 
This is, this is the political answer. You have to renegotiate your expectations. But it happens is that you might, you might disrupt you might stir the pot. You might have to have a lot of hard conversations. And I think the cost is you have to be brave. It takes so much courage because you know once you put up that boundary, you're going to have a conversation. You're going to have a com- conflict or there's going to be tension. And as human beings, we want to have peace and calm and baseline and just everything smooth. And that doesn't, that often doesn't happen with boundaries. It often ruffles people's feathers. And so I think that is a cost is that you're, you're, you might lose the, the calm or the perceived calm, because there's always an undercurrent of tension if boundaries are being pushed. So when you think of a property uh, and there's a fence around the property, usually, you know, if I put in my mind this white picket fence around this beautiful Anna Green Gables house, and you know, those are properties, you know, what's inside, what's outside, but each property has gates and you get to determine when those gates open or when those close. So it doesn't mean hard, fast, rigid. There's gates, there's opportunities to open. And, and so I think a big loss would be status quo because things are going to change in relationships for sure. I think I'm kind of getting into my, my next conversation piece is just what I've seen working in churches. And I'm sure that you've seen this too is your, the pressure from just leadership of expectations on caregivers, mm-hmm. volunteers, um, staff, and the lack of care for the shepherds, for the pastors, mm-hmm. where that pressure is coming from up top, you know, coming mm-hmm. from maybe not from the congregation, but from a leadership standpoint. What are mm-hmm. some ideas or what have you seen? That is a very difficult when the expectation is on you from your source of income and your source of employment and not only your source of income and your source of employment, but a lot of churches and and I, you know, I'm not here to say whether it's right or wrong, say, see the pastor as the voice of God in your life at that time. And so, so there's a spiritual authority component to that. So if I don't obey, am I um, rebellious or am I, you know, ungrateful? There's have a spiritual component in addition to that, maybe employment and authoritative um, divisiveness that people may claim. So the only thing that I could think of right now in this moment is we don't utilize the tools that we have. I'm mean, I'm not putting shame or blame on the person who's being a victim. I don't mean that. So like take your vacation, you know, on the Sabbath that whatever you choose, your church chooses, whether that's this Monday or a Wednesday, like different churches, like Sunday is not a Sabbath for anyone who works in a church. Let's just be honest. So whenever there is that day off, do turn off the computer, turn off your phone set that you are not answering. Take the, take the time that you can or that you have and really shut down because the compassion fatigue and the need to serve, it creeps in so quickly. So you have to like protect that. Um, and then if people are like, why didn't you answer phone? Well, today's my day off and this is, you know, so mm-hmm. those, it's those conversations. I'm sorry, this is probably not the best answer. I guess I was just wondering if you had encountered that particular scenario with the people that you work with 
um, with caregivers. If that if that comes up in conversation, do they? It hasn't say, yet. That's why. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad um, to hear but that. But I do believe that's out there. I think there are a yeah. tons and tons of people out there who are, you know in the hamster wheel, burning the candle at both ends, exhausted. And I was like, I can't say no, because if this, if I say no, then, then there, I'm going to be looked at differently or I'm going mm-hmm. to be punished. And, you know, I, I do know of a couple people who were doing that. They were push, 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 push. And it took them to have a couple hard conversations wearing like this. I'm working like, 14 hours a day when you add in the emails and the things like Mm -hmm. some people just aren't aware of that. So definitely like record it, document it, you know, bring this forward and say, I just want to make sure that you are aware that with the responsibilities that you're given, this is what I'm doing. And, and I don't feel okay with this. You know, my relationships are suffering. My health is suffering. You know, um, my, it's, it's, it's not, I'm starting to get weary what I've only worked with people who've had positive responses from that difficult That's conversation. That's great to hear. But I do know that that not that won't be everyone's experience. Right. No, that's great to hear. I'm I'm happy to hear that there there are positive positive <laughs> conversations around that, um, and that people respond. They're not easy conversations. No. They yeah. They have worked out, and it takes a frequency. So mm-hmm. it, it's a very frequent conversation. But yeah. Yeah. This happens to me when I'm doing interviews is I'll, I'll get on these like rabbit trails and I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to figure out. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that when I worked in churches, I was a, I was a female. Yeah. And so the pressure to perform in this very misogynistic male dominated world was so high. And it was just like that idea of like, you have to work twice as hard to, to, to create the same space. And so there's a small demographic of women or who are in that same situation, but they're in that situation and putting up boundaries costs you opportunities and it costs you a voice sometimes in situations and, or costs you the opportunity to get a voice when you don't have in that, yeah, absolutely. In um, that situation a hundred percent a hundred percent and you're right because you know a lot of times you I could I could flippantly and be really trite with well it's gonna have a hard conversation that might be not the best fit for you and it's not healthy for you so you might have to walk away mm. well, that's really dismissive because a lot of people's children are being fed by being employed in that situation or or their social status or there's a lot of trauma that's you know behind the scenes that is undergirding a lot of this and to walk away would just be way way too much at this time so I definitely don't want to minimize and it would be baby steps. It would be definitely recording and making sure it's recognized. And and I don't mean a uh, I don't mean valued or appreciated. That might be going too far at this point. But just knowing, uh, you know, when someone asks you to do thing, um, providing information and data back, saying absolutely. So that's going to take me six hours. Would you like me to do that before or after the last thing you wanted me to do? You know, and not being spicy, like I'm, I'm super, I have tons of attitude. So, but, so maybe not the best, best tone to take with people, but Mm -hmm. by providing information and giving people opportunity to 
have that. And that sucks to say that it rests on, on, on you or the victim or the person being oppressed to be able to provide that. That's terrible. You know, we should have gone beyond that by now, but we haven't. So <laughs> we are having the conversation. Maybe, wait, what is, so we're 2000s. So maybe in the 3000s, yeah. we won't be having these conversations yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no, I guess I am. My, uh, my thoughts going out to the, to the caregivers who, who find themselves in situations where like creating boundaries is just, is even more difficult than it already is. You know, just that, yes. that, uh, yes. added. And I, I, yeah, I guess I would just say probably there's the gender issue. There's probably minority culture issue. There's mm-hmm. probably, yeah, racial issues. I Lots just, yeah. And so, so I guess boundaries I, isn't the only way to start overcoming compassion fatigue, right? Oh, really? It's not the only way. There's a whole course. There's like, yes, we're going to get, we're so going like, to throw, <laughs> throw in your other courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, there's other things that you can do the self-care for me. One of my biggest things, the self-care is I am so exhausted at the end of the day. I do not want to make dinner. And I have little people standing around me starving and grumpy and they want to eat now. So picking up a rotisserie chicken or being okay with buying frozen food and just throwing it in the oven or the microwave, like it's not all the time, but giving yourself permission to be able to do things simple Mm. that um, that allow you a little reprieve and a little bit of a rest, right? Or a, another one is when you're going to an event, you're going to work, you're going to church, you're going to errands or whatever, an appointment, you, you can have the radio on, you can have podcasts on, you can have lots of things happening. But when you come home, on, on your way home, turn everything off and have silence and allow yourself to process so that when you get home, you're already, you have started or you're already in a place where you have yeah. decompressed and you've you know, prayed or you screamed or you sent, you know, something where you've kind of mentally decompressed a little bit. So that's another really simple, simple way. Self-care is, does not have to be expensive. It does not have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be time consuming, can be small things that tend to your spirit, soul, and mind. Right. So. Mm, Yeah. Good stuff. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Well, you know, um, having listened to a couple of the podcasts before, you're, you, the focus really is about talking about things that we don't talk about in church, right? You know, and so I want people to know that if you are serving and if you are finding yourself numb or jaded or worn out, that you are not a sinner, you are not a failure, you're not weak. This has nothing to do with your your right standing with God. This is because that you are a caregiver and you love and you provide empathy. And there's hope for change. There's hope for opportunity for you to feel well and, and refreshed and at rest again. Let's take the shame off. Let's take that off because it's not helpful to you and, and it, it's damaging. And so to know that compassion fatigue is a real thing is super, super important that you know that you, because you care, you're tired. And so providing rest and refuel and nourishment for your body and your mind and your soul is not selfish. It is allowing you to be a child of God and just simply loved because you are worthy and it all gives you and it refuels you so that you are able to do ministry well because God has gifted you and called you. Um, so please let 
take off the shame and the guilt of being tired and exhausted and jaded in ministry. There's a reason it's because you are a caregiver and there's hope for something more. I love it. That is the sermon for the week. I love it. Uh, One final question. Okay. The kind of fun one. Okay. I'm starting to do this at the end of my interviews. I don't know how it's going to go. I may start cutting them, cutting them after I do this. But uh, book, movie, TV oh, show, or song that is meaningful for, to you right now. It can be – or you can pick any of those categories or <laughs> – all of them if something comes oh my to gosh mind. <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind what is it what is it that was probably going to be the most unholy answer i of love everyone it. please 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 okay i am totally obsessed with schitt's creek right now <laughs> <laughs> it makes you laugh does it make oh, you laugh because it you know what for me it's self-care it makes me laugh oh my gosh yes i don't agree with everything in the show blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it makes me laugh and self-care, the, a whole piece of self-care is having fun and Amen. doing something that brings you joy and brings you fun. So for Is that me, in your course? Yes, it is. Seven <laughs> keys to resilience. Yes. So it is having fun is so, so key. So right now um, I've been really just coming off of a lot of work from the summit. And so um, at the end of the day, laughing and giggling over Alexis and Moira Rose and just and like laughing at Schitt's Creek is probably the most I'm not I love it so much you have it but it's real life and it's me. perfect <laughs> it's perfect and I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna keep the answer in the episode that's so great all right I will definitely put all of the information about your courses and your website and the mental health summit in the show notes for anyone who is interested awesome yeah. thank you so much Catherine I'm thank so excited you. to be here thank you everything that you have done. I really am grateful that you're here. Thanks for joining me today. I'll see you next time.